Hey, welcome to Quest for Peace. I'm Aya Zaktar, and if you've never seen this show, uh, welcome to the this episode. Uh, this show is all about trying to figure out how to be happy and what it takes to find inner peace. And I am, let's see, on what year of my little quest here? I'd say year seven now, because when, when I was going to turn 30, I was like, look, I got to figure this out because I have a kid coming, and he better know all the, t- the tips and tricks because he's going to be me. And if I know what's going on, I could be like, this is why stuff's happening. Um, and so I haven't quite found Nirvana, but anyway, that's what the show is about. It's about uh, my successes and failures, and boys, there are a lot of failures. And we have guests on because the more I learn from other people, the, the more I can figure out stuff. So today we've got uh, an awesome guy. We've got Nate Langson on today, and let's get him on camera. There he is. Nate, how are you doing? Hello. So how am I doing? Did you, did you ask me how I was doing? Sorry, I, I think I thumbs up over you. Um, apart from my stinking cold, I'm doing well. So you've got a stinking cold, which is uh, sounds good with a British accent, though. Stinking cold sounds like a, a cocktail, actually. Um, Thank you. Yeah, we have some of those cocktails over here. They're very good. So let, let's, uh, let's start off pretty easy. If people don't know who you are and they're like, okay, well, why are we talking to this guy? Who is he? Why is he in this room? Nate, could you explain to people who the heck are you? Well, uh, I am a technology journalist by background. Uh, I ran Wired Online for about five or six years. And before that, I was at CNET, which is how I know Ayaz. Actually, it's not how I know Ayaz. Ayaz and I met through Tech News Today, I think. Um, and these days, I run Bloomberg's editorial business in uh, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And I run a podcast called Text Message. Yeah, you know, I was thinking, like, how do we know each other? Because I'm like, do we know each other from the chat rooms? Like, no, I think we knew each other through Tom. I'd heard of mm. you because mm. uh, you're Nate Langson. I used to be at CNET, and I used, to, I used to follow your stuff. And then I'm like, I got to know you somehow. So this is just a, a random thing. So um, you've had a really interesting career in general. Like I, I know that you were a fan of CNET, and you like entered a contest. What were you doing before you got into tech, and what made you go into journalism? Um, what I was doing before I got into tech professionally, I suppose, is – I was working in a school uh, with special needs children. Um, so it was a mainstream secondary education school in, in Britain, which is uh, basically kids aged 11 to 16. And the school that I was working in had kids who had problems, things like ADHD and um, various things like that. Um, some of them were from very um, questionable backgrounds, so had quite a lot of um, problems in terms of behavior and what's socially acceptable and but they were they were not bad enough to not be able to be in a mainstream school but they did need um very different types of lessons and i was supervising and helping those kids in those sorts of lessons but throughout all that i was running a website which actually was called text message back then from aged about 18 and ultimately that's what helped um, get me noticed by CNET and ultimately got my first job professionally at CNET. Uh, I think I was 21 when that happened. So you're, you're effectively a, a dream chaser, kind of like me, I would assume, because like if you, what, what made you when you were young think, okay, look, I can actually do this because something clicked a long time ago in my head. Uh, it was, why not me? And I was just like, what am I waiting for? What, what exactly am I doing with my life to just go, you know, I I love technology and why don't I just go into this? So like I eventually started doing that path. Uh, When did you realize that you were going to just pursue your dream instead of being like, okay, fine, I'll go work at a grocery store and be a clerk there. 
Um, well, I still did a, a fair bit of that when I was when I was younger. I started working at about um, fifteen, and I think when I look back now, there were there were. It's very easy for me to say that I've basically only ever been interested in about three or four things for the last thirty years, um, and I can remember as far back as being about five or six or seven. And was very, very interested in music and started learning on very little kits that my parents had bought me, uh, how to play the drums. And was very interested in writing children's books and was very interested in space and astronomy and things like that. And um, before my dad died, when I was eight, um, I'd been promised a, a what we called a grown up's drum kit. Because if I was still interested in playing the drums by the time I was eight, I'd be about three years since I started getting really interested in playing. Um, he said that I would get one, but I had to promise not to try and take it apart and turn it into a machine. Um, <laughs> now, I did ultimately get that drum kit. Uh, my dad died before uh, that birthday, but had left the money with my mum to buy it. And um, that was sort of interesting period um, for many reasons. But for me, it's interesting because it meant that I had this interest in technology and science and writing and music. And that sort of just stuck and stuck and stuck. And there was never really any point after that period <clears throat> that I wasn't in some way doing something to do with writing, something to do with technology or uh, computers or something to do with um, um, I forget which other one I, I hadn't said. Basically, music, tech, and writing um, was all the way through that. So I, I kind of just feel that it was it was just instilled in me in a very, very young age. And it's just always fascinated me. And I basically just disregarded everything else, including a lot of education, um, which definitely caused a bunch of problems when I was in my sort of early to mid-teens. I basically saw everything that didn't interest me as a waste of time. So I would deliberately sort of truant and, and get out of school so that um, I could basically focus on teaching myself to code or taking computers apart. And I think that in retrospect, the teachers probably should have noticed that the guy who was sitting in detention um, quietly in the corner reading a book about code or about computers instead of throwing gum around the class and trying to cause a scene, you know, there's probably a reason he was in detention other than behavior. And it was largely because I just didn't like my time being wasted learning about volcanoes when I could be learning about this new thing called XML or um, anything else back in whenever that would have been, 97, 95, I don't know. Do you regret? I was born in 84, so I, you can probably work it out. Do you regret actually being true and doing that stuff? It seems like you shouldn't considering how everything turned out, but is this something in retrospect you'd be like, I should have paid attention to this stuff? Um, no, I, I don't, I don't regret it because I've always kept an incredibly broad interest in the world and in things that interest me, you know, whether that's East Asian politics and history and culture or, um, what goes on with North Korea and the history with communism, I find fascinating Balinese music and gamelan. Like there's, there's a, a spread of things that I, I, I find absolutely fascinating that they never would approach in school because it was too niche, but I've always had that very large interest in the world. So I don't feel that truanting uh, lost me anything educationally in that sense. Um, what I definitely do regret, though, is that it caused a lot of problems um, family-wise and, um, and you know, personally. And, I, and that's, that's something I, I only – I don't have anything I regret in life. I generally don't believe in, in regret. But I do, in retrospect, think that had things not have worked out the way they did, I would feel extremely bad about the problems that um, – the way that – my brain seemed to think I should do things uh, cause me to do. Do you think of yourself as an intense person? Because that's how people usually describe me. Within meeting me, I know I've had a lot of professors go, you're very 
intense. Like they want to make sure they don't say like uptight or insane, but intensity has been a word to describe me. Do you find yourself uh, driven, intense? Like what's, what's a way to describe you? Um, I'm definitely very obsessive with the things that I like. Um, you know, I would never put a label on it, but I'm, I'm definitely very obsessive. I'm very, uh, focused on things being, uh, I don't like time being wasted. I like efficiency. And to put that into a real world example, the best example I, I, I tend to find is I'm not impatient um, generally in that if I'm standing in a long queue, but I see that the staff and the customers in front of me are you know really working hard to get through, I don't mind being in that queue for an hour if it takes that because I can see that people are doing the best they can to process things as efficiently and as fast as possible. Yet, I will be frustrated within a matter of minutes if I'm in a very, very short queue, but I can just see lazy staff who don't really care about the number of people they've got to get through and people do nothing to try and speed up the process. That drives me mad. So it's, it's, so it, you know, it depends on the circumstance, but I don't think I'm an intense person. I, I don't shout. I don't tend to get angry. Um, I've done a hell of a lot over the last couple of years in particular to focus on, um, sort of better ways of thinking and things that can sort of interrupting intrusive thoughts and working on, you know, what is really worth spending energy getting stressed by. Um, you know, I won't get frustrated being on a, a London underground, which is a very cramped, crowded uh, <clears throat> way of commuting into London and back. And I won't, I won't let myself get annoyed if someone's just doing something that other people would find annoying on that tube, because realistically, it's not going to affect my life after about five or six seconds after I get off the train. So it's not worth my energy. If I, as a knee-jerk reaction, if, I, if something is going to affect me longer than just a few seconds or a few minutes, um, then maybe that's something I'll allow myself to get more emotionally involved in, if you like. So if it's going to affect me in a week, this thing that's happening, or a month or a year, then it's worth putting some effort into you know caring about. But if it's only going to affect me for a few seconds or minutes, then um, I'm not going to let it bother me. Or at least I'm going to try and not let it bother me. You said some really interesting things there. So you, you said you're obsessive about things, but you somehow, mm -hmm. you don't get angry and you stop intrusive thoughts. How do you do that? Because for me, I know, um, you know, there are times where I'll be on the subway and it's fine. Like, you know, it's packed and it's like, well, it's only a couple stops. It'll be fine. There are other days where I'm just like, I want everyone to disappear, like a Twilight Zone episode. Um, and it goes back and forth. most more times than not, I'm not thinking you know obsessively angry about stuff, but it will get get to my uh, get to me. Considering you're right, it's a, like a minuscule part of your life. How do you balance the obsessiveness and not allowing yourself to focus on that stuff? Because it's just for me sometimes my brain's just going and it's just stuck, and I'm like, how do I get unstuck? Well, one of the I mean, there are a number of ways I can answer it. I think one of the things that I really learned very very hard to do to affect. Uh, my day is, I think over the course of a day, there are probably dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of small moments that could cause just a few small moments of either stress or anxiety or anger or, or some negative emotion. If you extrapolate those, up, those moments up over the course of a day, that's quite a little bit of the day that you could probably do without being stressed in. So I try and think about, or rather, I, I try and have the knee-jerk reaction of, what can I do about this? Is there anything I can do about this? And this goes, this goes to help 
those small thoughts as well as some larger ones. Um, you know, whether that is anything as great as, uh, you know, work-based anxiety or health-based anxiety or um, something. And the answer is, you know, can I do anything about this? Because if the answer is no, then you might as well stop thinking about it. Because if, if you agree to yourself, there's nothing you can do about a situation, then you worrying about it or obsessing over it or allowing that that sort of voice that everybody has in their head that sort of starts a little back and forth conversation scenario, if you like, in your head about what if this happens and what should I say there? And, you know, what if they say this? You can interrupt those. If you can't do anything about it, just agree to yourself. You can't do anything about it. So there's no point thinking about it. And and in those situations, I find that I can then agree with myself to uh, to not entertain those kind of conversations or or thought loops, if you like. So what do you replace the thought with? I mean, I think that's part of my problem when I'm thinking about something obsessively or I'll get tied up in it. It's that I don't have something new to process. Do you find yourself going back to either a particular word? Is there like a, you look at a light bulb? Is there something that pulls you into now, I guess? Um, I've, tr- I've done a number of things and I think it, it depends. I mean, I'm, I'm in a, I don't like any moment in my day to go by when I don't feel I'm learning something or absorbing something. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a very good cycle I find of filling my spare time with anything I can do to learn something new. And that, that is from pressing play on a, on a, on a podcast before I get out of bed and having that playlist of podcasts of news, um, play until I get to the to the tube for my train. Then the podcast stops, it gets replaced with some music, and then I'm reading my RSS feeds and things on the 45-minute journey to work. Then when I get off the train, the podcast goes back and gets to the office. And so there's all those points, and, and you can apply those to any part of the day, You know whether it's anything you're doing in the bathroom without going into, into detail, showers or what have you, um, going to the shop, coming back from the shop, doing your housework. Like These are all opportunities to, to absorb something. It's one of the reasons I'm such an evangelist for podcasts and, and audiobooks is because they, they allow you to fill useless time with really useful knowledge and insight. And so I definitely rely on always having a stock of spoken words whether that's comedy or something informative or something news-based or topical or just people's voices who I like. And I'll be perfectly honest and say that yours is one of these. Um, a whole bunch of people who I know overseas who do different types of, of, uh, of podcasting, you know, they're, they're in that. And I pick them based on the mood that I'm in. And so having a stock of those things there is, is very helpful in giving myself something else to focus on for a while. Um, and the, the other way of doing it is something that I learned. So I, I'm not religious or spiritual in any way, but I did spend a lot of time and still do um, when I can um, sort of learning and practicing meditation. And I started doing this um, with the London Buddhist Center and um, they sort of they welcome anybody. And I was from a very, you know, I'm a science obsessed, only things that are totally 100 percent categorically clinically proven sort of person. I won't believe anything. No superstition. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in fate. I don't believe in um, anything at all other than things I can tangibly put my hands on or have been methodically proven. Um, but there's a hell of a lot that um, meditation teaches that has things in common with um, cognitive behavioral therapy and ways of interrupting thoughts, of just focusing on things, of breathing exercises. And you can, you can be not medically in need of them and you can be not spiritually inclined towards them and still find that they can have really positive impacts on your daily life. And that 
really is something you can put into practice just on a tube if you're stressed if you want to divert a thought um and i can go i could go into any of any of those that i practice but they're really very very well worth people reading up on if they find that their their mind wanders and they have these back and forth conversations with themselves in their head that it's the kind of thing that people say what keeps you awake at night it's that type of conversation that you just need to interrupt um and there are a number of ways to do that um and i, I use a bunch of them yeah, I've, I've tried the meditation route, and I will say lately I've been off of it, not because um, I, I, I want to be. I've actually found out that when I'm exercising, that's basically, that's almost meditative, uh, meditative, how do you say the word? Meditative, mm. whatever the word is. It's like meditation to me. Uh, it's because my mind is completely doing that task. I realized that I was replacing, you know, just sitting there for five minutes and listening into a, either to a guided meditation or just trying to sit and not, uh, try not to think, which is a hard thing for me. Um, but yeah. I find when my brain is completely, uh, it's gotta be put aside when I'm working out because I have to get the moves down and I do, I do some, uh, pretty intense workouts. And so I'm basically failing and falling on the floor because of that. There's not, I'm not worried about, oh, is the sink leaking or, you know, does the dog, you know, is the dog shedding or like, is somebody going to have a problem about something else? But that to me has actually been very helpful. Meditation, sitting there and trying to just, uh, get your brain to calm itself is impossible to me. So I like the guided it's, stuff. Go ahead. It's, it's, really, it's really pretty much impossible for most people. I mean, I, I've had a number of conversations with, <clears throat> with Buddhists at, at the Buddhist Center, and you know, they say this, this concept of having a free mind, of having no thoughts, you know, it's really not an achievable thing. And even, even people who claim they, they can do it probably can't. You, know, you might be thinking that you're not, but... It's kind of like I, I thought about it in light of um, decades and decades ago. I want to say sometime in the 20s, the BBC said on the BBC News, they said there is no news and they and they just broadcast music because there was no news, apparently. Um, and it's so ironic because the act of there being no news is ironically itself news. The news is that there is no news. So you can never be without news. And I kind of think that that's very true of thoughts. You know, the thought that occurs to you, that the minute that that thought comes to you, that you have cleared your thoughts, it's a thought. So you're never able to fully escape um, your brain. And I think that when you understand that, the, the goal is really just to reduce it down to as much as is useful. You know, you don't have to go all out to just be, it's not crazy thoughts and then no thoughts. It's just reduce them down, control them, you know, I've always I've always been prone to, um, you know, being quite anxious uh, in general. My my whole family is, to be honest, is we're all kind of an anxiety prone family, and it used to really bother me when I was when I was younger that you know I'll go through life and never and never get over anxiety. The answer is actually that you don't need to get over it; you just need to control it. And I feel completely in control of it now, um, particularly over the last couple of years. Um, you know, I wouldn't even say I'm an anxious person anymore. And it's not because there's been some cure for anxiety or, or that I, I just have no worrying thoughts or I never worry about anything. It's just that if you can just put the 90% of things that you might otherwise be anxious about, just get rid of them somehow, then the 10% of things that are actually worth some of your time and attention to worry about, they don't feel quite as overwhelming because your, your general state of mind is quite calm. So you're more rational about that other 10%. Um, and I suppose my point of saying all this is that the, the goal should never be to try and have a completely clear, free, uh, pristine mind. It's just if you get rid of a lot of the junk, 
um, the rest of it, the rest of the stuff there just has more room to move and, and be digested. Um, you've, you've done a lot of uh, public work, effectively. I mean, you're a journalist. You've done a lot of writing. Uh, it, how do you go about uh, putting yourself out there? Because I know I've, I've done video work for almost 10 years now. And I've I've dealt with some pretty harsh critics and some some trolls and things and you know if, at first you know it takes a while at least I'll be honest about it. like it took me a while to to build a bit of a thick skin the biggest thing is to never respond to people who are like uh, I had this I want to tell the story I've told the story like a billion times but I was doing a podcast uh, for Will Harris it was called Channel Flip Web and uh, oh I, I, Will is a very close friend of mine uh, so we I was working with him at the time it was like one of my first like forays into video and. Um, this criticism came up on iTunes of our show. It was uh, the whole appeal of Channel Flip is that it is UK based. It's British. Ayaz and Rob, who was my co-host, are not British. And I'm like, okay, wait a second. This is their criticism of me. It's not that the lighting is bad. The audio sucks. They're not funny. The information is poorly explained. Any of that. I mean, I can address that. That's exactly what I started thinking. I'm like, can I do something about this? I'm like, I'm not British. And I'm just thinking, I wanted to write back. I'm like, you could have had me twice. I mean, my, my folks are from Pakistan, so it was part of India, so British control was there. And then I, they moved to America, which was British controlled. So I could have been British twice. It's not even my fault. But I couldn't write that out. How do you, how do you deal with people uh, you know, coming after your work or coming after you after you've done like, a ton of work and people are like, mm. well, you suck because you used the wrong it's. You didn't use the, with the apostrophe because you're stupid, Nate. Like, I mean, how do you deal with that? Um, I suppose, I mean, I, it, it used to bother me a lot. It definitely, uh, definitely used to bother me a lot. I would say that these days I just think, you know, does this affect me? Does it bother me? Does it, is this going to have an effect on my life? You know, do I actually care about this person's opinion? The answer is no. I don't know this person. This person clearly doesn't know me. Um, you know, I, I just think, there are so many billions of people in this world. Um, you can never please them all. You can never uh, want to be friends with them all. You would never be able to be friends with probably most of them. Um, and I think for me, if, if, if it's not somebody who's a, you know, whose opinion I care about, then I just don't, I just don't care. Um, it'd be very different. You know, criticism from, from you would would be very different you know if it was somebody that i knew or that i liked or even if who i didn't like but who i respected or or something you know for them to be critical then that would be very different um but i kind of feel that i would probably only like the people who i think would at least have a decent justification in saying i was wrong about something and i don't mind being wrong about things um i don't mind having my opinion changed um as long as there's evidence to support it. Um, definitely. I, I'm quite happy for my opinion to change. <clears throat> um, if it's a mistake, I also, um, I remember being told once by a, an old boss of mine that one of my best qualities as an employee was that, um, I was perfectly happy to admit when I'd done something wrong and I didn't have an ego uh, behind being told I was wrong and I would learn from it. And it didn't mean much to me at the time, but in retrospect, um, I, I now think I appreciate much more about what, what that person meant. Um, because I definitely do think that I can, I, I'm happy to take constructive criticism as long as it's from a source that I, in, I already respect or trust. If it's from anybody else and it doesn't affect me, it goes back to the kind of tube, you know, the packed tube uh, analogy or example, if you like, that that's going to bother me for about five seconds. And what's the effect on my life? Does it really affect me at all? Particularly if I don't believe what that person has said is, 
is correct. Like, you know, it's just their opinion. I just, it, it just washes over me now because I, I can just assume the knee jerk reaction is doesn't affect me. Don't care. That's a good knee jerk to have. Uh, I've, um, I've been living with this information uh, from Tom Merritt, you know, Tom, a mutual friend mm-hmm. of ours. He, uh, I used to check the emails when I used to do a show with him and he would, I'd look at this email and it's like tearing us apart saying we're terrible at stuff. And he would tell me something simple. It's like, is there anything we can take out of this to make the show better? And I was like, yeah. this guy's a jerk. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa I don't, don't worry about that. This is not, this is, that's not the point of this. I mean, of course this person could have written this email a better way and this could have been a nicer approach, but mm. can you pull anything constructive out of it? And I was like, this is a really good approach to have, especially when you put yourself out there publicly. It's simple to go, all right, it's very easy to get offended, but if you can actually get this information and grow from it, it's actually really beneficial. Uh, I read a book and one of the the tips was pretend that everyone is enlightened but you. So if you can, you know, if you can stand there and just you're hearing somebody talk at, you know, at a party and it sounds like really dull and you're like, okay, what, what is this guy talking about? It's going on about a bologna sandwich. I don't really care. Just, just, you know, stand there. Maybe there's some insight that you just don't know because everyone's lives are different. Um, and you can, you can learn from that. And that, that's, that's, um, it's interesting that you, you said earlier that you try to spend your time learning. I guess that's another way to keep your mind focused is if you are obsessing. And you're having that conversation, like I should have said this, and this should have happened. You're, you're not learning. You're just you're living in, in not the now, and you're not learning. So, what's the benefit of that? I think it's a, it's very difficult for people, mm-hmm. including myself, to go. Uh, okay, I ha- I should be trying to improve myself right now, not getting caught up in the moment. Um, I, I agree. I mean, I think being being defensive as a default is a very dangerous thing for personal development because the fact is. A lot of the time that you do something wrong, or rather a lot of the time maybe that people say or criticize you or say you've done something wrong, the sad fact is, is that they might be right. And so instantly just assuming that, you know, if criticism equals bad equals defensive, that's not a really good logic to have a lot of the time. Um, and and definitely, I mean, this goes back to constructive criticism, but I, I definitely think that when people pick out something or say something wrong, if you can just absorb it a little bit uh, and admit that maybe they might be right then and you can allow yourself to have your either your opinion changed or the way you do something changed you know it's it's healthy i think it it definitely makes a difference you know i've definitely felt that i'm just thinking about um this might be a sensitive topic my my dad died when i was 23 and that was like a, a big, uh, 24, it was a giant sign for me to go, okay, well, what are you doing with your life? What are you going to be, you know, what, what's, you know, what are you doing? Cause you're, it's, this is going to end. You can't, you know, bitch and moan all day because there won't, there's not always a tomorrow. Um, can we, can we talk about your dad at all? Or is that, mm, you know, yeah, of course. so, so what kind I mean, that had to have an impact on you. What at eight years old, um, it seems like it set you off on a path. Uh, is there anything else that, that you learned from that? Um, I think it's, 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 it's weird because at the time I definitely don't remember, um, you know, I was eight years old. Yeah. No, it's just, I was going to turn eight that year. So between seven and eight. And I don't remember at the time thinking, wow, you know, this has happened. I'd better focus. Um, but in retrospect, I think a lot of the stuff that my dad and my mum did, um, have been the things that have stuck. So that, you know, they'd always encourage the music. 
they'd always encouraged the writing and and learning i you know we had a video camera like a, a proper old big bulky uh camcorder type thing and you know i was using i was making films on that i was setting it up and, and trying to film uh short documentaries and and my you know my parents did that too i mean what is that if not a podcast or or some sort of video like all the things that i was doing around that time they're all the things that i do now and and a lot of them professionally now and so i think in a way um while i may not have acknowledged that a lot of that stuff back then basically cemented what i was going to do for you know the rest of my life um i think it probably has um i i definitely know that um you know, in, in the past when I've had spells of, of problems with anxiety, um, it's usually been grounded in hypochondria and it's usually been, <clears throat> you know, thinking I have, you know, X illness or, you know, X disorder or something like that. And it's always not, it's never been true. Um, the difference is when I was younger, I would, I would bottle it all up and never treat it. And, you know, I would spend months sometimes just thinking I had some fatal illness when of course I didn't. These days, if that happens, the answer is, uh, is there something I can do about it? And the answer is yes, you can go to a doctor and they'll tell you it's fine. So I just have done that. And now those things aren't problems. But um, though I, I know that in conversations with my mum before now, we do think that maybe my, my dad dying because he died of cancer um, may have sort of puts a certain uh, health related aspect to the hypochondria. So I think possibly that um, that's something that maybe on the negative side was was perhaps cemented at an early age. Um, but I think by and large, you know, they're, they're all good things. And I think that all the things that my parents had encouraged and supported and uh, and done for me and with me when I was around that age, they're basically just the things that I do now. And it's never been any different. Um, so I, I suppose it's uh, the, the answer is yes, they... Um, they had a they had an impact, but I probably didn't realize it until much later in life. Yeah, my, my folks were very different. Uh, I'm, I'm first generation American, and so you had two options if you you're an actor. You could be a, a lawyer or a doctor. And uh, so my younger brother's a doctor, and I do have I have two law degrees. And so I got into tech just because I liked it, and I was writing uh, te- I was writing on my own personal blog tech stuff, but when I, not not tech stuff, the actual show, but stuff about tech um mm. uh while, while i was in law school and i got into podcasting because this is the, this is a really bizarre thing why i got into podcasting um i was studying for the bar exam and i was like i need a creative outlet while i'm studying for the bar exam and i was studying maybe about 14 hours a day so this is i was this is all i was doing and so i'm like i'm gonna do a podcast which makes no sense by the way don't launch a podcast while you're studying for the bar exam that's a tip but it, that's it's gonna be 10 years soon that i've done this so it's it's um it's a very bizarre way for me to go. Okay, I have my own creative freedom. Once I got these degrees, my folks were, or at least my mom was like, "You did it. You can do whatever you want now." And so bizarrely, I wound up in a career in tech, which is really strange. And now I'm talking about like with you about trying to figure out how to find peace. So like growing up, I wasn't really allowed to do you know like okay, I liked guitars and like I got to play guitar and like I couldn't drive, I was like 16, so I got really good at guitar for a while. And then once I got a car, I didn't care about guitars. Um, I wanted to draw as, an, as, a, as a kid and they're like, my mom saw this ad, this terrible ad, um, like come to this stadium and you can get these uh, paintings for, for so cheap. These starving artists need to f- feed themselves. So for some reason that was just implanted in her brain that if, you, if you're an artist, you will be a starving artist. And I'm like, well, fine, I will not draw too much. My dad encouraged it. Hey, better, you- to be a, 
Better to be a, a, a starving artist than a wealthy critic. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the idea of like going after what you want. So I, I did the parallel track thing, which I wonder, like, it's, it's really hard to do these two things at once. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really curious how this all would have panned out if I had folks who were just like, okay, whatever you're going to do, I don't care what it is. Just be really good at it. That's what I'm trying to do with my son now. It's like, you know, if he wants to be a firefighter, that's currently his obsession. He's about uh, almost five now. If that's what he wants to do, I'm like, well, that's fine. He goes, well, I also want to be a race car driver. I'm like, sounds fine to me. Like, you, there's no, there's no real like. I don't want to push him into something because, you know, it'll hurt the actual uh, interest level if you're forced into something. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you wish your your folks did force you into? I'm like, I wish they did make me like play piano or something. You know, like, I'm older now. I'm like, I really could have used this skill, but I don't have it. Um, I think the only thing is 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 not so much a skill, but I am probably the world, uh, not now, but for up until being about 23 or 24, and I'll be 31 this year. um, So quite a lot of my life, I was the world's fussiest eater. And um, I do think that if I had one thing that I could have been pushed to do better, it's probably to, you know, eat my damn greens or not be not be quite such a fussy eater. Um, You know, fortunately, these days, that's not so much of a problem. But I mean, up to the age of about 21, I was basically still eating like, you know, burgers and chips or the equivalent of basically simple food. Um, And so maybe maybe that's something I would look back. But, you know, in terms of you know, in terms of interests or career or um, things, th- there's nothing that I think I would really, I would really change. I mean, I know that a recent, fairly recent, I think, conversation with my mum, we were talking about parenting in general. And, and she was saying, you know, just do, do things. You know, if you, if you get an idea to go and do something, this is like with a, with a son or daughter, a young, young child, um, <clears throat> go and do it. You know, if, if you, if they're interested in going to a, a you know, aquarium, take them to an aquarium, you know, don't think we'll do that in three weeks, just go and do it today or the next day. You know, if there's, if there's something you can do, just go and do it. Don't, don't wait for it. Just take them and do, and do it and do a range of different things, all sorts of things. Um, and, and I think, I think that must've made a hell of a lot of difference because I feel like I am very much of a very worldly person. You know, I have a huge spread of interests and that definitely didn't come from school because I didn't go to, I didn't pay attention in enough of the classes, you know, IT definitely, um, you know, and in my computer classes, I once got into trouble for quote unquote cheating uh, in a particular class <clears throat> that was to do with making websites uh, with a tool that ultimately became uh, Microsoft front page. And the cheating was the fact that I had finished the work in the front page type tool and gone in and edited the HTML because I'd been teaching myself HTML in the background. And so I was cheating because apparently the class was to learn in using the program and I basically knew more than the program. So I improved mine and that was cheating. Um, Those ones I definitely didn't learn uh, much from either as a result, I suppose. But it's mostly been um, it's mostly been stuff in in personal time. You know, if I if I wanted to, uh, you know, have an interest in in painting, my mum would buy us painting by numbers sets. Um, I really showed an interest in playing the drums, so we had a drum kit. And I don't, I, and I want to, you know, put this into context. We were not a wealthy family; like we didn't, we didn't struggle, um, but we, you know, we were, you know, we could do nice things within reason, and we could eat fine. But we, you know, similarly, we were not shopping in the, 
you know, the higher class supermarkets. I don't want to give the impression that we did all the things because we had all the wealth in the world. We didn't, but we were we were comfortable for um, for a while. And I think, you know, at such point, I have children in future. My guide is is basically going to be what would my mum have done with me and then just do that? Because I think for all the problems that you can have as a teenager or with hormones or with you know, girl issues or anything like that. The underlying result was, uh, for me, was having a, a wide interest in many, many things. So far, seemed to be quite su- successful from it. And I just want to do anything I can to try and replicate um, what I had as a as a child. So um, I'm not even sure if I'm answering your question anymore. I'm basically just talking. <laughs> That's it's um, fine. I'm, I'm learning, so this is great. Yeah, but... um. I would just just do as as many as many things and and oh yeah of course you were asking about pushing and being pushed into things mm-hmm. I think I don't think I was I was pushed I don't think I would want to have been pushed about for anything differently anything different just doing the wide range of things that we did regardless of what they were was really important in me becoming. Uh, widely interested in in many different things and i I can trace so many of them back to being aged between about five and ten without question there are so many things that i'm really interested in and fascinated by and take great pleasure in that i can trace right back to being a very small child one is classical music i'm really into death metal and heavy metal and black metal and the kind of concerts that you would not be you wouldn't accept money to go to as a dare um, that I go to voluntarily out of choice and love, but I still have a massive love and, you know, chills down the spine at, 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 at classical music and, and the spectacle that is um, a classical performance. And I have video and memories of me standing in a living room, you know, play conducting to various different pieces of classical music um, and, and stuff like that. That was just critically important. And I can trace a whole bunch of things that I do now right back to that. What makes you happy? That's a great question. Um, Learning is one of them. Um, I definitely find that the more I understand about the world, the more perspective it gives me on my own life. And there are some things that can come across as quite depressing, but I'll try and explain why. Um, One thing that makes me incredibly happy, uh, and this does tie in a little bit to my my interest in space and in uh, sort of cosmology and how the universe began and and the vastness that is the universe and i think you know we're a planet we're in a solar system there are hundreds of of millions of stars just in our galaxy there are hundreds of millions of galaxies in the known universe goodness knows how 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 large the universe is and i think you know is the thing that i'm worrying about or bothered with right now in the grand scheme of the universe that big and the answer is always no. It is really small. It is, as far as the universe is concerned, it is immeasurably tiny and insignificant. And in a weird way, that gives me a lot of perspective on whether or not I should be worrying about things. So, I, you know, it's really naff and cheesy, and I'm really sorry to, for the words that are about to come out of my mouth. But looking up at the stars definitely makes me feel peaceful because it reminds me of how the, the universe is so vast that my problems are in the grand scheme of history trivial and it just helps put a little bit of perspective um on that and the other thing is 
for example, I've been reading a hell of a lot about um, sort of North Korea, and I'm fascinated by North Korea and the relationships between um, East Asian countries and uh, and and that over the last hundred years or so. And there are some truly horrific stories about how people lived and how they still live over there. And while it doesn't give me happiness to know that I'm not suffering in the way they are, it does give me context and it gives me perspective that, you know, the thing that the, the way I'm living or the problems that I've had, they're really not necessarily the things that I should be worrying about. Because if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I've got big fat ticks next to them all. Uh, and most of the people I know have. And that's a really fortunate um, position to be in. And so me stressing over, um, you know, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but day, day-to-day things, they're not something that I feel I should be putting a lot of effort into caring about because there are people that are picking sweet corn out of uh, cow feces to stay alive um, in parts of the world. And I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing or a sad thing or a depressing thing, um, but what makes me happy definitely is trying to have as much perspective about the world and the universe around me that definitely helps me feel that whatever I'm doing is generally it's okay and um, and it could be a lot worse. You know, on this show, we've done a bunch of episodes and perspective has been a topic that comes up a lot. It seems like the people who are happiest realize that in the grand scheme of things, there's, you know, there's, there's just you only have really right now. So to freak out and, and make yourself miserable or to mm. uh, focus on being angry or focus on being obsessive or whatever it is you're doing, it's in the, in the grand scheme of things, not such a big deal. Like it, it can always be worse. I used to have a saying like that in, in college. I'm like, it could be worse. You could be on fire. You know, you could literally be on fire like that. And, and my friends would always laugh at me. They're like, why do you say that? I'm like, it'll, I'm, I'm right, though. Like my friends would be depressed. I'm like, well, it's not so bad. Like, you know you can run up and down stairs and stuff. That's pretty cool. And they're like, well, that doesn't mean anything. I'm like, not now, but it will matter to you at some point. Um, so things like that, I try to, I try to I need to personally remember that too, have perspective. I know when my son freaks out, I'm like, why doesn't he, why is he freaking out? It's like, oh, he has none. He has literally no idea that there's more stuff in the world yet. Cause he's only, he's almost five, but he doesn't know like, you know, the, what's going on. He does not have any idea what's going on in North Korea because we haven't had that talk yet. Um, maybe we will after this episode. Um, anyway, we should wrap up. Nate, go, go ahead. What are you going to say? I, I was going to say that I think that, you know, I suppose two of the most important things, uh, just to continue and finish on that topic that I'll keep in mind is that perspective is definitely important. And, you know, that, that goes without saying almost, you, you could argue that you can have too much perspective. You know, if you live in a, in a very closed off world and pay attention to nothing that goes around you, you could potentially fear everything because you don't have enough context or understanding or perspective on what's going on. And you could, if you have too much perspective, you, you might understand that the world has nuclear weapons and there is a possibility of giant earthquakes and famine and bioterrorism and whatever. But then the, and then the, but then the other side can come in. And that's the side of what can I do about this? Can I do anything about it? And the answer to almost all of those things every time is no. There's nothing you can do about it. And I, and I don't want to say nothing in the scheme that, no, you could push your way into politics and rise up and try and long-term change something. I'm ruling out that. But on a day-to-day level, is there anything you worrying about it is going to do to change anything for the better from your perspective? The answer there is generally no. And so 
when you pair perspective with understanding the world with that knowledge that a lot of the stuff immediately you're worrying about isn't going to have an effect, um, then you can have a good, a decent balance between um, between the two uh, sort of extremities of uh, perspective, if you like. I'm not sure if I garbled that, but I think you probably know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think everyone gets it. Somebody wrote in the chat room, so happiness comes from seeing other people that are miserable, eh? I'm like, that's that's not exactly what we're saying. It's more like realizing mm-hmm. that, you know, it, you're quite, it, you don't realize how lucky you are until you can see more than what's going on to uh, with you, yourself, I think. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I would definitely never say that, you know, people that seeing other people unhappy makes makes me happy that is definitely not the takeaway um but when you when you don't see yourself um as the center of of the universe or the center of the earth and you you understand that you know while yes there are people who are in much worse situations there are also people in much better situations that i i I could talk about too um but having that perspective definitely uh can help you work out whether the the thing you're worrying about is really the thing you ought to be worrying about. And similarly, having perspective on, on people who are doing less well than you, then yeah, maybe that's a good reason to then act on it and try and do something in your life to change that, whether that's just giving money to charity or being aware that there are certain problems in the world that maybe you're talking about is helping spread knowledge about and and that can result in a change for them for the better. Um, but by and large, I think perspective paired with can I do anything about this? No. Well, stop worrying about it then. That's definitely what's helped me a lot. So if people wanted to find more of your insights online, how should they find you? Um, they'll struggle to find insights about this sort of thing online because I very rarely talk about it. This is uh, quite an enjoyable, different take on podcasting for me. But most of my stuff is is sort of tech and media and business related. Um, NateLangson.com is my website and I run a weekly technology podcast uh, called Tech's Message, which is T-E-C-H apostrophe S message, um, which I yeah definitely love people to to check out. I imagine some of your audience, IAS is, uh, are interested in tech. So so um, do check that out and just Twitter for general stuff. Or if you want to con- continue the conversation, um, <laughs> I am, uh, join the debate. The, 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 I hate those terms. Um, but at Nate Langson, um, more than happy to, to talk more about any of the above being the last hour of recording by above. Nate, thanks a lot for being on. I've, I've, I've learned a lot today, which is good. And uh, I think... For the folks at home, if you have questions, we actually have an email address, which I never promote. I should do that now. Quest at uh, gfqnetwork.com. There's now a Twitter account for this show, which has, I think, two followers because I just set it up. It's at Quest for Peace TV because I couldn't get at Quest for Peace. Yes, this show is named after Superman 4, if you, everyone who asked me that. And if you have your own insights, questions, or whatever, you know, send me an email or you can follow me on Twitter as well. I'm at Ayaz. Um, I usually respond, so... Uh, Go for it. And um, I hope this helped you guys too because for me, I'm still learning. I'm trying to figure this stuff out. And hopefully um, you got some perspective today. So uh, thanks yeah. for, for I w- Go ahead. I was going to say, if anybody hears anything interesting, because this is such a personal topic, you know, langson at iCloud.com. That's my email. Drop me a note if you, uh, you know, if, if you're going through any th- problem that it sounds like I've had at some point in my life, I'm perfectly happy if you want to email me. Oh, that's great. Thanks for sharing that, too. So thanks for watching, everybody. You can find uh, old episodes at gfqnetwork.com. You can watch us live. Uh, I, I usually tell you on Twitter, we record maybe, maybe about like once a month, but we do like a giant four-episode pack. So 
Uh, that's at gfqlive.tv. There's a chat room. If you are unaware, that's how I saw somebody was like, oh, you just like making fun of people. No, it's not what we're doing. Um, that's, I think that does it for us, though. So thanks for watching and listening, and we'll see everybody next time.